Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm an author, blogger, and virtual assistant. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 for 7 years. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 5 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're diving into the differences between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. But first, it's time for a win of the week. And Jesse, you are up with a win. Yeah, so this isn't necessarily a win of the week, just a win of the last couple years in becoming more diabetic is that I've become more confident with myself and being diabetic and grown into my confidence of being a type 1 diabetic, meaning that when something goes wrong where I need to eat or I need to put in insulin, that I actually do those things instead of trying to accommodate other people. That's awesome. That is so awesome. It's (laughs) self-growth. There we go. Not being afraid to take care of yourself. Yes. And I always had struggled with that when I was younger. And like, you know, I, I have to make other people feel comfortable. But in the last year or so, it's really been a big step for me. Good. So it actually sounds like you might be what's called an obliger from the four tendencies. Have you ever heard of that? No, I've never heard of that. So Gretchen Rubin has this, she has this framework for personalities called the four tendencies. She basically splits people up into four groups. There's upholders, obligers, questioners, and rebels. And it's all based on how you respond to expectations. So inner versus outer expectations inner being like a new year's resolution or an outer being like your job. So it sounds like you might be an obliger, which is honestly the largest tendency. I'm going to step back because you said something that made me think that you're an obliger. It was meeting other people's making other people feel comfortable and stuff. Yes. Making other people feel comfortable instead of taking care of yourself sounded like you might be an obliger. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like me. That's, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I picked up on that because <laughs> for obligers, the way to deal with it is to create outer accountability. So us making this appointment for a podcast would prompt both of us to get the outline done and actually call each other. Yeah, that makes complete sense because I probably wouldn't have done this, like done a whole podcast by myself or like done any of this without you know you also holding me accountable for doing stuff (laughs) yeah and I'm an upholder which means I meet both inner and outer expectations basically the same and we're one of the smaller tendencies so I was like all ready to do this all by myself but then I was like Jesse might really be really interested in this so I was like Jesse you want to be my (laughs) co-host and I totally am and I love doing this with you (laughs) awesome I'm so glad So that was a really good win of the week for you. And I'm glad we had that small tangent because I love tangents. Oh, they're great. But I am up for the diabetes fail of the week. And again, I wouldn't say this is really my fault, but it is a fail of the week. So there's a rare technical error in tandem pumps that sometimes the battery doesn't detect current coming from the power source. And the battery will jump from like 
80% down to 50% or lower. And on Monday morning, my pump jumped from, I think it was like 95% when it was plugged in, down to 5%. Yeah. Yeah, it jumped down to 5% when I was in the shower. And it was giving me low power alerts and power source alerts, like one right after the other. And I plugged it in underneath my desk and that didn't work. And so I plugged it into my computer and that didn't work. And so I plugged it back into the wall outlet and got on the phone with Tandem. It took them half an hour to pick up from hold. And on that that half an hour of hold time, the pump died. It just, it died. So it turned off my insulin. It completely shut down. And when that happened, I plugged it into my computer just to see if that would work. And almost as soon as the technical support person picked up, my computer made it so that the pump booted up again. And when it booted up, it said 100% battery. And it didn't show the 1% that it had turned off with. And I guess it's this really weird error that tandem pumps have. And it's not it doesn't happen very common, although this is the third time it's happened to me in the last two years. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So they walked me through resetting everything and I lost 20 units of insulin to priming the pump because uh, during a shutdown, it resets the amount of insulin that it shows in the pump. And I had to do that twice because the rep forgot to tell me that I needed to wait 20 minutes after shutdown and boot up to reconnect my sensor. And the tandem pumps need 10 units to prime or else it doesn't let you do anything. So I lost 20 units to that. And ugh. It was just, I was freaking out and not handling myself very well on the phone, although I, did, I didn't blame her, the rep, I didn't blame the rep for it. And But supposedly the trick to dealing with these power source errors is to keep the pump plugged in continuously for 30 minutes to kind of reset that error. But I didn't have 30 minutes from the time I saw the first error when it said 5% until the time it died. And it was, I think it was pure luck that plugging it back into my computer made it turn on. So fail to tandem's engineers for not having worked out why this happens or how to fix it without frantic calls to tech support. And let's do a quick shout out to the tech support of like all of the diabetic supply chains and stuff. Oh man. Yeah. So tech support, tandem's tech support is 24 seven and they usually answer pretty quick. So I guess I just got stuck in the long half an hour line when I called on Monday morning. Yeah. Every time we've called in, there's been a problem. They always handle themselves and trying to calm us down very well. And, you know, they have to deal with a lot. Oh, yeah. And the rep also offered to send another wall charger just in case that was the problem. So that's in the mail right now. And if it happens again, I'm going to call back and they're going to document it and they might end up sending me a replacement pump if that comes to that. Have you considered just getting a replacement pump on your own since this has happened twice already? I have, but the problem with that is they won't upgrade tandem pumps very often, and tandem pumps are expensive. Plus, you need a prescription to buy one. What? Yeah, all pumps are prescription only. I should really know these days. (laughs) That's why we're doing this, so we both learn. (laughs) Yeah, so all pumps are by prescription only. So if you needed to like just buy an extra one, I don't think that you actually could. The only way I was able to have backup Medtronics was I kept the old pumps when they upgraded. Yes, that is what we do currently is like I have my first pump, the one that broke, but I have the one that we upgraded to and then I have the other upgrade and now I have this one. Yeah, I think I had like two backup pumps when I was on Medtronic and then one of those just kind of died. So I had one backup pump. I can't use my first one because it was the mini med Medtronic pump and it was the colored ones where it was like pink and everything. 
And so when I put in insulin for it, the cartilage popped out the end. (gasps) Oh, I've heard that it does that. So if you see that happening, call your Medtronic supplier, get off that pump and go back onto shots because I stayed like that because I thought that was like, you know, I didn't think it was a big deal. I kept that pump for another three months after the first time it happened. Oh, man. And then I showed my school nurse and she's like, we need to call your dad. And I was in tears because I did not want to go back on insulin shots because I hate shots. Like I can deal with them and everything. I just did not know. Uh-uh. It was like PTSD and stuff, you know, oh, man. I hadn't been on a shot in like six years. Wow. So for our listeners who don't really understand what we're talking about, the old Medtronic pumps, there is a reservoir cartridge. And then at the bottom of the reservoir cartridge is this little, it's not really plastic, but it's kind of like silicone and, or maybe it is plastic. I can't remember. I thought it was plastic. Okay. It's either plastic or silicone. They didn't have silicone much in the pumps. Okay. So was it a hard cap? Okay, so yeah, then it is plastic. So there's a hard plastic cap on the end on the bottom where the reservoir goes. And when that starts to pop out, that means that the pump is falling apart. Yeah, that means your motor on your pump is breaking. And don't motor do what errors. I did. Yes. Motor errors. I got some of those. I didn't get any. Oh, really? Yeah. The only reason why I had to like go back onto shots was because I told my nurse she saw what was happening to the pump. Like I was, I just had my thumb on there keeping it in place. And she's like, why are you doing that? I said, oh, it sometimes falls out the back. And then it it just went bad from there. Wow. That's insane. Well, gold star to all of the tech support people, but fail to tandem for not figuring out this power source error yet. Yeah. They need to get on that. So now it's time for a diabetes hack, and I'm up this week. So a lot of people at Panther Camp, which is the summer camp for type 1 diabetics that we both volunteer at, a lot of people there were really interested in finding out how to restart the Dexcom G6 sensors, since they seem to be a lot harder to restart than the G5s. And in the documentation, when you get the G6 sensor, it tells you that you are not able to restart the sensor, but you are. So I'm guessing that this is actually going to be a a really popular hack. And before you ever think of restarting the sensor, you have to save the sensor code or take a picture of it, which is what I do. So I'm going to go through the eight steps that I follow to restart the G6 sensor. So step one is to stop the sensor before your session ends. So if the session ends, you won't be able to restart it at all. Then you go into your settings to restart the sensor. And when it asks for a code, skip. And then you'll confirm sensor start. Let it warm up for 15 to 20 minutes and set an alarm for this because if you let it go on for too long, it won't work and the pump or the sensor, the CGM thingy will get really mad at you. It'll give you a lot of errors. And then when the time's up, restart the sensor again, but this time input the code you saved and start the session. And it's important to remember with this hack that I mentioned on last week's episode that G6 restarts are pretty hit or miss. Sometimes they'll last maybe a couple hours and sometimes the full 10 days. And usually I get five or six extra days out of a sensor, but you'll want to keep an eye out for false readings and maybe test with your glucose meter more often. My restarts are usually less accurate at the beginning and I'll have to calibrate and I'll get false lows before it cuts out for a bit. And then when the sensor cuts out for over two hours, or if it's constantly cutting out, that's when I change it. 
So you can find these eight steps in the show notes, and those will be at inspiredforward.com slash episode five. So now let's get into our episode, the differences between types one and two. Yes, first and foremost, the biggest difference between one and two is that with type one, the pancreas does not work at all. It doesn't produce any insulin, which is the hormone that lowers your blood sugars. And with type two, the pancreas is in overdrive and it constantly producing insulin that doesn't get absorbed or utilized in your body. And then if the overproduction goes on for too long, the pancreas can get fatigued and it can stop producing insulin. And this is called beta burnout. And I want to actually say something here. The pancreas produces more than just insulin. Insulin is just the main thing it produces. So the pancreas still kind of works. And we like to say as diabetics that our pancreases are dead, but they still make something. It's just not the most important thing that it should make. Yeah, it'll work, just not all the way. It'll work, but it wouldn't be a good option for an organ transplant. No. (laughs) Unless you want to make the the recipient diabetic. No, I'm good. Yeah, Yeah, I'm good too. So um, I would actually like to make a clarification from a previous episode where I said that the islet cells are responsible for creating insulin. So islet cells are actually groupings of both alpha and beta cells. Alpha cells create glucagon, which raises blood sugar. And beta cells create insulin, ergo, the beta burnout that Jesse talked about earlier. So the next kind of not so obvious difference between the two is that type 1 is autoimmune, which means that the immune system attacks those beta cells. And type 2 is metabolic, meaning it's related to the metabolism. Right. And with type 1, we are insulin dependent. And type 2, you aren't necessarily. So there are type twos who do have to go on like some type of insulin, but not usually. And a good thing to note about type two is that when they go on insulin, it's kind of a last resort where it should be because they're so insulin resistant that their pancreas isn't producing enough insulin for it to make any difference. Right. And then with type one, it's incurable. But with type two, it can be reversible with change in diet and exercise and certain medications can help as well. Medications like metformin are commonly prescribed to type 2s. So for type 1s, we require insulin therapy because we are insulin dependent. But like I just mentioned, type 2 diabetics are often prescribed medication like metformin. And metformin is a drug that slows or stops the production of glucose in the liver. And it also increases insulin sensitivity, which means you need less insulin to achieve the same reduction in blood glucose. With type 1 diabetes, it can happen to anyone, but with type 2, it's a lot of genetic factors and dietary factors and weight and lifestyle choices. And I'd just like to make a note that type 2 diabetics are not necessarily obese. They are not necessarily heavy people. There are very skinny or, you know, regular people who have type 2 diabetes. There are skinny type 2 diabetics, and it's not always caused by obesity. So, yeah, Jesse's right. There are skinny type 2s, and there's also fat people who never get type 2. I just wanted to mention that an example of a skinny type 2 diabetic is Halle Berry. So she was diagnosed with diabetes, and at first she thought it was type 1, but then they discovered it was type 2, and she's not on insulin anymore. And she actually follows a keto diet. And keto is great for lowering blood sugars and losing weight if you're diabetic or if you're not diabetic. And we're going to talk about that on an upcoming episode. Yeah, the pros of keto. <laughs> pros of low carb. So 
there are a couple tests that a lot of doctors like to use for diagnosing type 2, but they're not the right tests. So there's a test called A1C, and that just measures the average amount of hemoglobin or sugar on the hemoglobin cells in your blood throughout the last three months. And for a non-diabetic, a normal A1C is like below 5%. It's around 5%. And there's another test called fasting blood sugar, but those are really poor tests for type 2 diabetics. So in type 1, because the pancreas doesn't produce any insulin, it also doesn't produce something called C-peptide. In type 2 diabetics, C-peptide is higher than normal because the pancreas is working in overdrive trying to compensate for that insulin resistance. In healthy non-diabetics, insulin and C-peptide are released from the pancreas together in similar amounts. So the C-peptide test is a really good indicator for determining if a diagnosis should be for type 1 or type 2. And the reason A1C and fasting blood sugar are really poor tests for type 2 diabetes is because it can lie. So you can have a fasting blood sugar that's slightly higher, but that could indicate type 1. And A1C similarly is for the same, same reason. That being said, blood sugars that are over 140 milligrams of sugar per deciliter of blood can cause irreparable damage to the body, even in tiny amounts. And we'll link to a video in the show notes from Ken Berry with more information about that. Yep. And then with type 2, the rising of blood sugar can cause major life-altering problems, including nervous system problems in your eyes, blood vessels, and heart. And with some of these problems comes an increased risk factor in both heart attacks and strokes. These problems occur with type 1 diabetics as well as type 2 because we both have severe problems controlling blood sugar. Yeah. And I wanted to do a little side note back to the last thing I said about blood sugars over 140 causing irreparable damage. When I learned that, I immediately changed my high line on my pump to 140. <laughs> <laughs> so now my high line is 140 and my low line is 83. And what's your A1C again, Colleen? 5.9%. That, that was the last time I went to my endocrinologist. I haven't been in like five months and I'm going in like a month from now. So I'm excited to see what it is. To be determined. Yes. <laughs> All right. And then back to the stereotypes of type 2s. Type 2 diabetes is largely stereotyped to where it's mostly thought of to be caused by obesity. Now, this is true in most cases, but it's a contributing case, factor. Right. It is a contributing factor. But in some cases, it just doesn't occur. Like there are skinny type 2 diabetics. Yeah. So type 2 is more common. Uh, 95% of diabetes cases are type 2. And this causes a lot of confusion for those of us with type 1, because we're only 5% of the population, when it comes to education and dealing with those misconceptions that we talked about in a previous episode. Right. So while being obese does not necessarily mean you will get type 2 diabetes, you are more at risk for it because obesity is basically a result of insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is a hallmark of type 2. And for more information about insulin resistance and obesity, I would highly recommend Jason Fung's book, The Obesity Code, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. All right. And then a reminder to our audience, if you have questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or an email at Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N, at inspiredforward.com. We'll answer any listener questions in future episodes. So now it's time for a question of the week. What is your favorite thing about having diabetes in your life? 
And I told Jess before we started recording that we, I want us to give answers to this because it's such a good question. So Jess, what are you going to say to this? Well, my favorite thing about having diabetes would be that I get to meet such amazing people like Colleen and Tim who have always been there to support me and, you know, learning about this great support system that I never knew existed until I got to be diabetic. So she kind of stole my answer. So I'll give a slightly (laughs) different one. I, I too think that one of the best parts of having diabetes is the support network that we get, especially from going to a camp every year. And that's one of the main reasons I kept going back to camp was because of all those relationships I built while being a camper and then a counselor. And it is one of my favorite parts of the year. But for a slightly different answer about my favorite thing about having diabetes is that it made me mature a lot faster than I think I otherwise would have. So I went into college knowing exactly what I wanted to do, and I followed every step needed to do it. I finished college in three and a half years instead of four. And I think it's kind of driven a lot of what I do, especially for that maturity. I never really got in trouble as a kid. Well, I mean, I I say that laughingly because my husband never, never got in trouble as a child, like literally never. He was the perfect child. Oh, that was me. (laughs) He literally never got in trouble. The one time his mom like yelled at him for something, it was her fault. And then she later apologized. Yeah. Yeah. Was that you? Because it is me. (laughs) It is you. Yeah. You, you currently are the perfect child. Anyway, part of that maturity, I think, helped with my upholder tendency where I set out to do things that challenge myself and some other people are like, do you really have time for that? And I'm like, yeah, I can do it. So maturity is definitely a really good side effect of having type 1 diabetes from such a young age. Yeah. So that's it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find links to the sources we used in the show notes, and you can also find the eight steps to restarting your G6 sensor down there. And we'll also link to the obesity code. And those are all going to be at inspiredforward.com slash episode five. That's the number five. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, and our email is Colleen at InspiredForward.com. And I'm on Instagram at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, and please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes since that actually helps other people find us. And be sure to listen next week when we'll give an overview of insulin what it is, why we need it, and we'll also talk more about insulin resistance. Until then, keep it real. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.